Thanks, band. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Hiawatha Church. And uh, if you've been around it all this summer, you know that we have been going through a sermon series we've been calling Big Questions. We're nearing the end. Next week is our last big question that we will be doing. Uh, we asked our church uh, at the beginning of the summer and, and in the spring, we said, what are the big questions that you have? Questions about faith, about the Bible, about theology, about life, about Hiawatha Church. And you sent us a lot of really, really great ones, and we thank you for that. But since we're nearing the end of this series, uh, and we just have a couple more weeks, we have way too many questions. So I'm going to just fly through about like five of these real quick and answer a bunch of them for us. So first is, God is all-powerful. It seems that it would be uh, a lot easier for all of us if God had just decided to destroy Satan before creating Adam and Eve. And the answer to that one is yes. It would have been a lot easier. <laughs> Second, why does God give some of us thinker personalities, such as a hard time understanding or feeling heartfelt biblical passages? Uh, I don't know. Third, how has the, the purpose of obeying the law changed or not changed with the coming of the new covenant? Or in other words, why did people of faith in the Old Testament still choose or need to follow the law? Things like making sacrifices cleansing laws, keeping the Sabbath, etc., if obeying the law didn't justify them or didn't save them before God. The answer to this one is take Chris and Amy's class this fall, and uh, they will give you the answer to that one. That's a long answer, so I can't just do it in one sentence here. And then finally, uh, related to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, so the women, uh, many of the women of our church went through a 1 Peter study. This question came up. Uh, mainly, who are the spirits in prison that Jesus is preaching to? The answer to that, I have no idea. You can ask Chris, but I don't know. It's, that's a tough one. But all kidding aside, hopefully this summer as we preach through these questions, you realize that we, part of it, we're trying to communicate to our church, to each other, that uh, it is okay to have questions. It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to wrestle with things, especially if it's honest. Not, uh, and, and we wanted to together as a church wrestle through these questions together and see that the Bible most of the time has really great answers for lots of these. Maybe not as much as we had wished, maybe not as much certainty. There's still a lot of mystery and question within our faith, yet people who are asking honest questions, all of us, that's a really great thing, and, and this is a safe place. We want to make our church a place where people can come and have some doubts, have some big questions that they're wrestling with not have everything all figured out. And then the reason we started uh, this morning with a bit of humor uh, is because this week's big question is really heavy. It's incredibly practical and honest, and at the same time, it's something we don't enjoy talking about. We don't enjoy thinking about. And this is the topic of suffering, loss, grief, and trauma. I hope that over this summer, as you've uh, heard us preach through many of these questions, you've been noticing there's a commonality running through many of them. Not all of the questions, but, but many of them. A number of our big questions this summer have been kind of around the theme of, of evil and pain and suffering and some of the, the great problems that our world is facing right now. This summer, we've preached on the Me Too movement and the abuse of power. We've preached on depression and suicide. We've had big questions around salvation and death and hell, as well as a sermon on the suffering of King David and, and relatedly Jesus' suffering. 
And I hope you've also noticed that the answers to all these questions around suffering and evil and pain and, and loss and discouragement, that all the answers also have been related. And hopefully we're, we're beginning to see how interconnected all of theology and the Bible really is. So when we understand the gospel, when we understand the Bible as a story and other foundational main Christian doctrines or Christian beliefs, then we begin to have some answers. We begin to have hope and we begin to have comfort to our own big questions. So understanding the gospel, so gospel means essentially the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for us, and understanding that the Bible is one big story helping us understand that good news, understand God's rescue plan to bring restoration and reconciliation and resurrection through Jesus' death and resurrection. All of that begins to lead to us having a, a, a spiritual health, us having hope, us having joy, and even an unshakability. I made that word up according to... Uh, Microsoft Word told me that's not a word, but an unshakability that this world just does not know. So as Christians go through all kinds of suffering and pain and trauma and loss and grief, we can have hope. We can have joy even amidst suffering that the world just doesn't have an answer for and can't reach themselves. Now, we're not saying perfection in this. We're not saying an absence of any doubts or questions or fears, but we're talking about a hope, a confidence in a gospel, a good news, and a trust in someone we know that is trustworthy. Three times over this, uh, over this past summer, I've read or heard interviews of, of very prominent Christian artists, leaders, slash creative type people, and they've shared how either a crisis in their faith or a big question, like we've gone through this summer, have led to them leaving the faith, them walking away from Jesus. And as I was listening and, and reading each one of these interviews, I just wanted to sit down with this person and, and put my arm around their shoulder and tell them there are good answers to these. As, as you're wrestling with these crazy stories in the Old Testament, as you're going through great periods of suffering, as you're hearing other people say, you shouldn't have those doubts, you shouldn't have those questions, or as you're wrestling through maybe a works-based type of Christianity or an incompleteness in understanding the gospel, I just wanted to, to, to bring them in and say, guys, there, there are answers. Your past, what you've gone through, what people have told you, the, 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 the frustrations you're having with trying to understand the Bible, those are real, but those shouldn't lead us away from Christ. Those doubts shouldn't lead us towards thinking, I can't know anything, or there is no hope. You don't need to fall into despair or hopelessness or leave Jesus. So let me just state this another way. Good theology and a good understanding of the Bible as one story about God's rescue from evil and from death and from suffering, or in other words, a good understanding of how the gospel affects, or a good understanding of the gospel and its effects all leads to spiritual health, joy, hope, and an unshakability amidst suffering. We're all going to go through suffering. So this morning's big question, kind of summarized it because it was like two paragraphs long, but if I had to summarize it, the, the person was asking essentially, how do you trust God after experiencing a massive loss or trauma? 
The long question was this. They asked, my question is specific to Christians who have experienced a season of intense suffering, loss of a loved one, grief, trauma, etc. Perhaps all or many of these things in a row. How do you learn to trust God again after experiencing a massive loss or trauma? How do you trust him when you find no comfort in his sovereignty? Moreover, when his sovereignty now is something that stirs up fear or anger or mistrust rather than comfort and hope as it once did. When your own experience screams that he isn't who he says he is. What do you do when you know what you need to do, namely turn to him, trust him, hope in him, but you just can't bring yourself to do it? Can't even fathom how to start. Our family has been through a lot in the last few years. We're all believers and we're all stuck. We know the tidy Sunday school answers, but they bring us no comfort. I'd really love to hear a sermon or at least a gospel response to this topic. So very raw, very real, and probably something that everyone in this room has asked to some extent in their life. The reason I picked uh, this question, so we, we, we got to pick the questions we felt led to preach on. The reason I picked this question is because this person's story, at least I, I don't know this person very well, nor their complete story, but just from this question, their story is very similar to my family story as well. So here's a picture of my, my wife and I and our two kids, Charlie and Esther. Some of you are hating me right now because there's snow in the background of that picture. <laughs> but that is the best, best family picture we've taken in like nine months, so <laughs> I had to use it. But our family story is very similar to this person's big question. In the past five years, we've gone through lots of suffering and trauma and grief and loss. My wife's father passed away. We had a miscarriage. We buried three of our grandparents in the span of two and a half years. We had two different friends of ours lose children to death. We've, we've lost jobs. We wrestled with anxiety and depression. We've had both of our children hospitalized for a week at a time and countless physical and health ailments, as well as just the, the many experiences of suffering and challenge that come along with ministry. And I don't say this to, to, to get us sympathy or to boast at all, but rather to just share that this question and, and this response today is not preached from an ivory tower nor purely theoretical. It's a question my wife and I have wrestled with again and again and again over the years. And so we pray that uh, this morning's sermon and our, our family story brings some, uh, some encouragement, some hope to people are also going through something similar and to just know that this is real and that we all uh, go through it. And so throughout the sermon, I'll kind of be sharing a little bit of what, uh, how our family has responded to these particular questions as well as we've gone through deep suffering and trauma and loss. And you've probably gone through something similar, maybe a, a lot, maybe the past few years or right now you're in the midst of great loss and suffering and trauma. Maybe you've gone through uh, crippling pain in your life or numbing grief. Are you seeing it to happen to the people around you and it's rocking your world and, and breaking your heart? So as we talk about pain and suffering throughout today's sermon, I want you to think of, of specific pain and suffering and, and trauma and grief and loss that you're going through right now, the challenges that you are facing right now. So this sermon is not... We would pray that this sermon is not just, oh, my friend, my brother, my 
parent, my, this person at work, they need to hear this, but rather think about the, the, the suffering and pain that you're going through right now or, or people in your life that you're kind of bearing their burden. You're going through suffering with them. Maybe you've had a, you have had broken relationships, broken marriages, broken homes, interpersonal conflict, betrayal, and apathy in your relationships. Maybe you've gone through cancer. I've had a loved one gone through cancer. Or just your body's falling apart. Maybe you've experienced bullying or anxiety for, feel, for feeling like an outsider at school or, or at work. Maybe you've lost your job, lost your home, lost your security. Maybe you've had issues with your children or challenges in parenting. Or maybe it isn't your specific suffering, but just in your life, you've seen great pain and suffering face-to-face in others, and it's, it's rocked your world. You've visited third-world countries and seen crippling poverty or, or uh, horrible disease. Maybe you've been learning about or, or heard about or have some type of connection with uh, human trafficking, or especially with involving children or, or uh, people underage. Or maybe you've just experienced or you're just seeing this deep racism within individuals or just the deep-seated racism within our society as a lar- uh, at large. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that we're not going to go through suffering. It doesn't mean that you're immune to it or that you shouldn't be asking big questions about it. So today, as, as, as I've been praying for today's sermon, uh, what I'm going to say is, is going to begin to answer this question, like Jesse and Chris have said in previous big question sermons. Uh, we can't answer it, it fully. I mean, we don't have a whole series on each question. We're just trying to answer it. And so this will be an incomplete answer. Yet, at the same time, we hope it brings lots of hope and encouragement and peace and answers for you this morning. So as we begin to answer this question, the first place that we need to start is we need to see that pain and suffering weren't God's initial design. Nor were things like massive trauma or loss or broken hearts or despair. They were not part of God's initial design. When he created the universe and everything in it, when he created humanity and the environment, all those relationships were not supposed to be broken. We're not supposed to lead to heartache and suffering and pain. When we read the very beginning of the Bible, we see how God designed all of creation and reality itself. It was perfection. It was paradise. There was complete human flourishing in perfect relationship with the environment, with each other, and with God himself. In God's initial design, there was no pain. There was no suffering. There were no thistles or thorns or disease or broken relationships or racism or abuse or strife or even death. That is how God designed it. That is God's heart for his creation and his heart for humanity. Yet, we rebelled against God. Our first parents wanted even more than perfection, wanted even more than paradise. They mistrust God, and they wanted themselves to be like God. And in an event that we call often the fall, our first parents chose independence and rejected God as their king and and ruler. And in doing so, they opened Pandora's box of suffering Things like death and evil and pain and sin entered our world. And those things were not a part of God's initial design, but rather the opposite of it, the antithesis of it. The destruction, hurt, 
and wickedness that we see in our world and in our lives, that we feel, that breaks our, breaks our hearts and, and cripples us at times, was not the way that God wants it. It was not the way that he had designed it. But even just moments after our great rebellion against God, even though God would have been just and right to only bring justice and wrath and punishment, he also at the same time showed unbelievable mercy and grace. God promised that even though we chose to reject his rule and his love and his authority over us, his care for us, even though we chose suffering and death and pain over him, he would step into creation again and reverse this curse. He promised that one day he would bring reality and creation back the way that it was supposed to be. He promised to fix this great and horrible problem that we created by himself defeating evil and suffering once and for all. So as we begin to answer our big question today, we have to first remember how we got here. God is not a distant God. He's not an evil God. He's not standing back saying, I can't help, nor is he standing back and saying, I just don't want to help. I don't like them anymore. They hurt my feelings. They rejected me. God is not like that. We need to begin to answer this question by remembering how we got here. And even when we horrifically screwed things up, God promised to remedy it. He promised to rescue us. We'll talk about that rescue in just a few minutes. But this understanding of how we got here is incredibly important. Yet, in the midst of pain and suffering, this, this mostly is just an answer to our heads, mostly an answer to our minds, and doesn't always pierce our hearts, doesn't always bring as much comfort. So while it's very important in understanding the why suffering and pain happens, it still might, might make us feel very alone or that God is, is very distant. But the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the story of the Bible is that God didn't just leave us there. He didn't just stand back and say, hey, you wanted to make your own choices. You wanted to reject me. You wanted independence. You wanted to be your own gods. Fine. You brought the suffering on yourself. Instead, he says three things to us personally. Three things that don't just speak to our intellect, which they do, but they speak to our hearts. They speak to our emotions. And the three things that he speaks to us through the gospel, first thing is, is God says to us, I will use that pain. I will use that loss, that trauma, that suffering. I will use it for good. And I won't let it be wasted. Secondly, he tells us, I won't be a distant God. Even though because of sin, there is separation I won't stay a distant God. I will fight against that. I will enter into the pain, evil, and suffering alongside you. I will feel its weight and despair and destruction with you. I won't be a God who is distant, angry, and unsympathetic. Through my pain and suffering in your place, I will actually begin to destroy suffering and pain and evil altogether. And through that, I will bring a rescue. Back to paradise, back to my design, back to the way it was supposed to be. Through the suffering that I will choose to take on myself, Jesus tells us, I will become the remedy to suffering itself. And third and finally, God reminds us 
this world and this life are not the end. We have a future hope. We have a hope now in this life amid suffering, and we also have a future hope as well. So let's unpack these three things that God speaks to us amidst our trauma and suffering. The first one, pain, suffering, loss, and even evil are used by God for good. They are not wasted. Romans 8 says, uh, And we know that for those who love God, so for Christians, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is not saying that all bad that happens to you, all suffering that happens to you, is a good thing. It's saying that God is going to use destruction and, and great suffering and loss and trauma for your ultimate good. That he's not a God that's sitting back with his hands tied and said, saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm only sympathetic. But rather, he says, I can, I can uh, do something about it. I'm not going to waste the pain that you're going through. Which, which is, is hard to understand as well as is hard to receive at times. Why would God, if he loves us, not just step in and stop the suffering I'm going through, stop the loss and trauma that I'm going to experience? And one way we can begin to understand this, imperfect yet really helpful way, is to see God as Father. He calls himself Father. And so Christians can understand pain and suffering and loss by looking to God as their perfect heavenly father. So anything good your parents have ever done is just a reflection of the great and perfect parent that God is towards us. So think of that. Think of any great way that a, that a parent has loved a child that you've seen, whether friends or family or in film or in a book or something, if you didn't have a great parent. So let's, let's uh, remember this idea that God calls himself a father and us his children and let's look at that as that helps us to understand how God can use our pain and suffering for good, to not let it be wasted. Well, one way is that maturing in our faith, or just think about a, a parent and a child, helping their child mature and grow up, or in, in theological or biblical terms, the word is sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, that takes a lot of hard work, right? Any parents in this room that can say, yes, helping my child grow up does take a lot of work. It's it's not that easy. So just think about seeing a 35-year-old living and acting as if they're five years old. And the reason that this 35-year-old is acting like a five-year-old, a preschooler, is because their parent did everything for them, never let them struggle or experience any discomfort or pain, or in what the child's eyes might uh, think was suffering or pain. If a parent only did that, protected their kids so much that they never felt any suffering, pain, loss, struggle, discomfort, they might end up like this. How incredibly sad and unhealthy. So similarly, God as Father allows us to go through pain, tough experiences, grief, suffering and loss, and times of being uncomfortable so that we can mature, so that we can be conformed more to the image of Christ, so that we can be sanctified. And God does not only allow us to go through suffering, which he does, but there's even times when he has us go through suffering. He chooses to have us go through some type of pain, again, to make us mature and become more like Christ. He brings suffering into our lives 
because he loves us. So just like I force my children to eat vegetables, to go to bed at night, and to take vaccinations, things my kids definitely see as pain and suffering, and tell me over and over again how much they hate it and how it's the worst thing in the world, God brings suffering into our life at times because he loves us, because he knows it's what's good for us, because he knows it will bring great healing or great growth or great maturity or great sanctification. He knows what's best for us, even if at the time we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It feels like suffering. And with these examples I'm bringing up, I'm not thrilled about hurting my children. I don't like making my children cry by saying, eat that broccoli or go to bed or having to hold an infant down to get a shot. Horrible experience, right? So I don't want that to happen. I wish we live in a world where we didn't need vaccinations and where broccoli tasted like candy. So I lament the brokenness of this world just like God the Father says, I wish this wasn't the case. It wasn't how I designed it, but because it is, I know what's best for you, and I'm lovingly going to bring you through some pain because I love you. And finally, just like a perfect parent, God doesn't waste our suffering. When we go through pain, when we go through discomfort or trauma or loss, he doesn't waste it. He uses it for our good. When my son falls off his bike and skins up his knee and is bawling, I use that suffering. I don't waste it. I use it even though I don't want it to happen, I use it as an opportunity, opportunity to console him, to show him my deep affection for him, and to gently teach him, you shouldn't take your hands off your handlebars when you're riding the bike down a hill. So likewise, in our pain, God doesn't waste it. He consoles us in our suffering. In our pain, he shows us great love and affection towards us. And when we fail, he gently corrects us to grow and learn so that we don't fall off the bike and get hurt in the future. Our God doesn't waste our pain. He mourns with us and he uses it for, our and for ours and for others' good, even when we cannot see it. It doesn't mean that it still isn't evil or wrong or broken or painful or that it isn't le legitimate, but rather what this says is that our God is a God who is about redemption, who is about reconciliation, restoration, recreation. The second way that we see God use pain and suffering and evil to bring about the good news is by looking to the cross. Jesus was betrayed by those he loved. Jesus went through torture and incredible suffering and pain but what satan and men meant for evil god meant for good to bring about the salvation of many our god is a god of redemption he redeems suffering if he can take the worst injustice this world has ever seen the darkest day and make that into something that christians sing about we celebrate it's the center of our faith if he can take that horrible evil and, and, uh, that, was, that was meant for destruction and death and slavery and oppression by the enemy and then use that for the greatest joy that humanity 
has ever experienced. If he can do that, he can do that in our own lives with smaller things. Through the cross, the most evil act in history, the greatest suffering this world has ever seen, God brought the greatest news that this world has ever heard to us. People now can have their sins forgiven and be reconciled to their creator and receive eternal life with him in paradise. The Gospel of Transformation Bible talks about this suffering. The innocent, the innocent God-man dying in our place. They write, the Christian life is paradoxical because it is built upon the ultimate paradox, the death of Christ, where perfect divinity and beauty was horribly killed. Through that tragedy, life for sinners blossomed. We are comforted because of this. We are comforted because of his affliction. We are accepted because of his rejection. We live because he dies. So the second thing that God tells us amidst our great suffering, loss, trauma, and pain, he doesn't just say, I will use it for good and I won't waste it. But he also reminds us, he tells us that we have a sympathetic, loving God in him. He doesn't just understand because he's, he's brilliant and all-knowing, but he's gone through the worst that this world has to offer. The worst trauma, the worst evil, the worst pain, suffering, abandonment, torture, and he chose to go through it because he loves us. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, when he added humanity to his divinity and came into this world, he didn't just play his God card. He didn't just, when Mary and Joseph said, go to bed, eat your, eat your uh, broccoli, he didn't just you know, use his, his divine power to turn it into gummy bears and, and fast forward until the morning, nor during his, his, uh, his suffering at, at the cross, nor did he uh, play his kind of trump card and then just make all this pain go away. Brother, he fully entered into suffering, especially at the end of his life, during his betrayal and trial, torture and crucifixion. And he went through all of this, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. So think, think of, especially if you're in the midst of suffering and, and trial and pain right now, connect those two together. Jesus went through that same type of suffering and pain and, and torture that you're feeling right now because he loved you. He chose to go through it. Right now, the suffering that you're experiencing, you're probably wishing with everything in your being that it would just go away. Jesus chose to add that to himself. He chose to go through that because of his love for you. In a great book on talking about pain and suffering by uh, Tim Keller, if, if this topic, if this is what you're going through, if this interests you, it's an incredible book. I'd, I'd encourage you uh, to read that. But in this, he says, this is what happened on the cross. Jesus lost all of his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound and nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, that is being cast away from him. He took so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. Hebrews 4 speaks about Jesus as our great high priest. 
And it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So Jesus didn't go just through pain and suffering, but also temptation. He is able to sympathize in all of our weaknesses. Sin that's being done against us as well as sin that we are tempted with and just cannot seem to find victory over. And even when Jesus left his church to go back to be with God the Father, he showed them that they were not going to be alone. That they were, going, that they were, were not going to have to go through this evil and painful world of suffering by themselves. But he was going to send his spirit to live inside all those who trust in him, to comfort them amidst suffering, to guide them amidst trials, to empower them when they felt weak and broken, and that he was going to give them his body, the church, his physical representation of himself here on earth. He promised that we won't be left alone to go through this hard life, but that we'll be supported by himself through his spirit and by himself through his body, through the church. So practically, this means that we as Christians, we, we choose, we enter into each other's pain and suffering. We bear each other's burdens. We listen as people are confessing sin and, and sharing their broken hearts. We love, we give sacrificially, we sympathize, we care for those within our church who are going through these types of pain and suffering. So do that. All the more because Christ has done that for us. Embody the gospel by how you care for those who are suffering. And the flip side of that, which we don't do as often, is look for when the church, when Christians are loving you and helping you through times of trial and suffering and pain and trauma. When Christians, brothers and sisters, are doing that for you, see Jesus in that. Don't you see some friends bringing you a meal? See Jesus through his body, by the power of his spirit, loving you and bringing you a meal. See Jesus through your community group leader that's praying for you and caring for you amidst tough times. See Jesus in the person that's counseling you and, and, and reminding you of truth and reminding you of who God is. When our daughter Esther was in the hospital for uh, a week and we could do nothing but just try to survive as a family. Uh, afterwards, my wife shared that uh, the, the, the closest time she's ever felt to God, the most tangible and real that she's felt God's love towards her was when the body of Christ surrounded us amidst that time of suffering. When our daughter was in the hospital uh, trying to breathe, trying to fight off RSV, I think it was, that was when my wife most felt God's love towards her because it was God's people. It was God's spirit through the body of Christ that was reminding her and our family of God's great love for us amidst horrible suffering. So this just reminds us again and again and again, we need the church because the church is the body of Christ. We need the church. We need Christian community because God's spirit is within other believers. And it is a great grace to go through suffering surrounded by other believers. 
So Jesus reminds us that he will use pain and suffering and evil for our good. He won't waste it. He also reminds us that he will enter into it and has in the greatest possible way because he loves us. And third and finally, we are reminded that this world is not the end. This life is not the end. As Christians, we have a future hope. And sometimes we can hear teachings or read books or, or hear uh, advice from other believers that just jump to this one, just jump to number three. And number three is incredibly important, incredibly important. But when someone's going through pain and suffering, what's going to speak to their hearts might not always be, stop whining, we get to go to heaven. Stop whining, the, the, the suffering you're going through will be fixed one day. Stop going through grief because you will see that loved one later on in life. Now, while those are true, that they might not be very loving to say by themselves. And so, though we get to this one, and this one is incredibly important, incredibly important. It is, it is the greatest uh, solution, the greatest fix of our problem. Yet, the few that we talked about earlier, as we talk to each other, as we remind ourselves, can be incredibly powerful too. But as Christians, those of us who trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, we have a future hope. And it's not just a wish. When we use this word of a future hope or hope in eternal life, it's not just some wish that we kind of hope will happen. Like, well, I kind of hope that the, the Vikings will be really great this year. Or I kind of hope that uh, I won't get the flu this coming year. So it's not that kind of wishful thinking. But when the Bible speaks about hope, the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we have for forgiveness of sin and eternal life with him, when the Bible talks about that kind of hope, it speaks of hope as a confident expectation. We're not just guessing, we're not just wishing, but we're confident and we're secure and we're sure in what we are waiting for. So my wife and I, we have hope that we will meet our child someday. We have hope that our pain, evil, and broken lives and death that we experience so regularly will be wiped off the earth. We have hope that we will be re reunited with loved ones who have trusted in Jesus. We, we will be reunited with them one day. We have hope that injustice and the abuse that we see in this world and in our lives will be destroyed. And we have hope that God's justice will reign one day and for forever. We have hope that these bodies that are broken, that keep on breaking down, will one day be resurrected and restored. When we read the very end of the Bible, this is the, the description of the eternal life and state of those who trust in Christ. In Revelation 21, we read, Jesus, uh, we read about Jesus' victory over pain and death and suffering and evil. And we pray, just as this, that song that the band sang right before this, that, that Jesus will come and that the, the final version, the complete version of this will come. The Bible ends with some of these words in Revelation 21. Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither sh shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for these former things have passed away. As Christians, that is our hope. That is our confident expectation because our God has said that and he has bought that for us. He has won that for us and he promises that to us. 
a return to paradise, to be with him without pain or suffering forever. Since I chose to preach on this particular uh, big question a few months ago, as I've been reading through the New Testament the past few months, I've seen over and over and over and over and over again how much suffering and pain is in the Bible, is in the New Testament. Whether we're looking at Jesus' life, all the suffering that he went through, even before his, his, uh, his arrest and his torture and his abuse and execution, it's all over his life. You read the accounts of the early Christians, so after Jesus was raised from the grave and, and the early church started and spread throughout the world, these letters written to these churches and these experiences of, of, of Christian leaders and, and churches is full of suffering. It's all over the place. You can't pick up a New Testament book and read it and, and uh, really not see suffering going on in their lives. The Apostle Paul, one of the writers of, of much of the New Testament, uh, writes to all kinds of churches going through similar stuff that are suffering. They're seeing evil win and goodness lose. They're being persecuted. They're going through death. They're seeing loved ones die. And Paul reminds them, this author reminds them, that, that their pastor who helped those churches start, he reminds them of the hope that they have because of Christ. This, this Revelation 21 type hope that we just read. And if you're wondering, ah, who is this guy writing to churches that are going through suffering saying, it's not that bad. Remember the hope that we have thinking that this guy is writing from an ivory tower or just from some theoretical theology he's kind of putting together. Let me tell you more about who this guy is. So the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, a huge chunk of the New Testament, writing to a bunch of churches. He was saved by Jesus, sent by Jesus to plant, start new churches all across the world. And as he continues to do that, he writes letters back to these churches But unlike some church leaders these days, he wasn't going from city to city in private jets and setting up shop in some really nice hotels in between these experiences. But he himself was going through horrible pain and suffering. Listen to how he describes what he went through. This is his little autobiography of, this is his his resume of all the pain and suffering he went through. He writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged or whipped More severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which is a beating with a whip that often killed people. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Okay, so this guy on his resume, he suffered a lot, right? He's experienced a ton. But now listen, he's writing back to these churches Listen to how he describes suffering and loss and trauma. The same stuff that he has gone through himself and has experienced in the flesh. In this exact same letter where he describes all this that he's gone through, he writes to the same church, and this is how he encourages them. He says, 
So we do not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and maybe literally for this guy, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul calls his suffering light and momentary affliction. He says, in knowledge of knowing who God is, what he has done, how he's entered his own suffering alongside Paul, and how he's promised him all the suffering to be defeated in eternal life and a new body. Paul calls his suffering light and momentary affliction. And he's reminding this church, look to eternity. Look to our Savior. Yes, it is affliction. Yes, it is suffering. Yes, it is horrible. But let's not forget what we are promised and who our God is. And in light of that, our suffering will turn to light and momentary affliction. Paul has hope in the resurrection. He has hope in eternity with Jesus. And he reminds his church of that. And when we believe this, we're set free from the prison of our own suffering. And we can begin to see our suffering as light and momentary. Tim Keller again reminds that us as Christians, if you're a Christian here in this room, that our physical resurrection, when Jesus returns, it's not just consolation, but it's restoration. That in the resurrection of the body that's promised to us, those who are Christians here in this room, these resurrected real physical bodies to live in eternity, in paradise, in a recreated, restored earth with Jesus. It's not, just consol- it's not just consolation. It is restoration. We get it all back. The loved ones, the love, the goods, the beauties of this life, but now in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. So as, we just, as the band just sang, we can pray this. We can pray, come Lord Jesus, come back. My body hurts, my heart hurts. I turn on the news or look out my window or look in my own heart and all I see is suffering and evil winning. And it is okay to long for resurrection. It is okay to long for Jesus to come back. It is okay to long for the new heaven and the new earth and for eternity with our Savior. That is okay. And we can long for it. So as we leave here today, a few things on how to apply these gospel truths to our lives amidst suffering. First is know that pain and suffering will come. It's hard for me to say that. I'm the eternal optimist. I am uh, very positive most of the time. Ask my wife or Chris, who probably find it very annoying that I'm not as much of realists as they are. But know that pain and suffering are coming. Don't just react to it when it, when it, when it shows up. Loved ones are going to die. Your body is going to break down. People are going to let you down, maybe even betray you and abandon you. Hard stuff in life is going to happen unless Jesus comes back before then. So rather than just reacting, rather than just being caught off guard and saying, God, where are you? 
when you go through suffering. Prepare yourself now. Meditate on these truths. Have your loved ones and your community group and your family members and your friends remind you of all these truths so that when suffering comes, and it will, when it comes, you will not just be reacting. You will not forget these truths. You will not run from the only one that can actually bring you comfort and in, 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 in love and life. Especially if you're a younger person here. We think we're invincible. I say we. I don't think I'm invincible anymore. Ten years ago, I thought I was invincible, and then I hit my 30s, and then you just realize, man, life is tough. Bodies break down. Suffering happens. No pain and suffering will happen. And trust God as your perfect heavenly Father, that that suffering is not necessarily a punishment. It's not because he's distant from you. It's not because he's powerless or because his character has changed and he's evil. But see God as a perfect heavenly Father and know that you're going to have to eat broccoli in the future, that you are going to get a vaccination and have a bedtime. And when you fall off your bike, he will be there to console you, to show you great affection towards you, and to teach you and gently correct you amidst that. Secondly, we need to remember. We need to remember these things. Say them again and again. Sing about them. Pray about them. Remind them to each other. First, that we live in a fallen and broken world full of suffering, and it is that way because of our making. We are the problem. Know know who is to blame. It's not God with his hands tied, nor God as an evil God saying, ooh, I'm just going to add a little pain and suffering and trauma in their life and see if they still love me. Don't believe in, in, in karma. Oftentimes we go through this and we kind of just believe, oh, suffering came, that must mean God hates me or he's distant or he's weak or he's punishing me. That's karma, guys. That's not the gospel. So remember that we live in a fallen world and this, this sin is of our own fault. Yet, Remember that we have a God who knows our pain and suffering and promises to redeem it. And he's a God who has entered into it. So as you're going through suffering, again, remember, Jesus went through this exact same pain, this despair, this this physical pain, this anguish, this anxiety. He chose that because he wanted to rescue us from that. Jesus will save us from it, now spiritually and and physically, uh, uh, eternally as well. Also, we must remember, Christian, is that we get a glimpse and a foretaste of paradise now through his Holy Spirit and through the church. And so when you go through suffering, and by God's grace, someone in the church, a fellow Christian, walks, walks you through with it, loves you in it, it listens to you, is kind, cares for you, protects you, see Jesus in that. See Jesus' spirit working through those people and see that as God's love towards you. And, and, and taste and get a glimpse of what our eternity has for us. And then finally, remember that this world is not the end. But, but for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, this is the closest thing to hell that we'll ever experience. And third and finally, understand your pain and suffering by looking to the cross. Understanding Jesus' death and his resurrection the ultimate act of God defeating our enemies and bringing life out of death, bringing flourishing out of suffering, bringing comfort out of loss and pain. 
Jesus went through hell so that you would have the opportunity to never experience it again. If you're not a Christian here today, that's what Jesus offers. He went through the worst that this world has to offer physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, so that if you trust in him and what he did, you would not have to experience that. He died in our place so that this world filled with evil, pain, and suffering would be the closest that we ever have to come to hell. So today, accept this offer of salvation. Trust in him. Put your hope in him as the remedy for this great problem of evil. Let's close with a word from the Gospel Transformation Bible speaking to this big question that we talked about today. The gospel enables us, Christian, to deal with difficult momentary experiences because it assures us of the permanence of God's promises. We are momentarily afflicted. We are certain that we will not be crushed because Jesus was crushed on our behalf. When we are persecuted, we know that God will not forsake us because Jesus was already forsaken in our place. When we experience death, we need not fear for we know that we will experience resurrection life because Jesus bore the penalty of death on our behalf. And as we speak, as we believe and speak the gospel during the most difficult times, the result is that grace extends to more and more people and God is seen to be more and more glorious. Let's pray. God, we do not like suffering. We do not like pain and loss. And neither do you. And God, we thank you that you're sympathetic, you understand, but you're not just a good buddy that says, oh, I get it, it's tough. I can empathize. But you're a great God who says, I'm not just going to sympathize and empathize and, and kind of be in your corner, but I'm going to defeat that. I'm going to fix the problem that we created by going through the hell that we deserve so that suffering and pain and death and trauma and loss and depression and despair and grief will end, will be defeated. God, you bring us back into paradise, into perfection with resurrected perfect bodies and a restored new earth with you living amongst us again. God, we thank you for that great news that we do not deserve. We pray that you prepare us well for future suffering. And even more, we pray that uh, you would come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come back. Rid this world and this universe of the effects of sin and death. Jesus, we thank you that you are a great Savior that loves us deeply. We thank you, God the Father, that you are a great and perfect Father that we can trust, that is trustworthy. And God, we pray uh, that you would help us in our weakness, that we would experience and feel uh, your love through your spirit and through your body here in the local church. In Jesus' name. Amen.